podcast Global Thinking, where today we're going to be discussing communications in a post-COVID world. My name is Eleanor Cavill and I'm a senior associate in our London office and I'm joined by Lucy Cording, a partner here at Kex C&C and Andrew Berkeley, data science lead at the World Economic Forum. In this podcast and with their help, we're going to be unpicking how the global pandemic has dramatically altered the communications landscape. Everything that has happened over the last eight months means that for us as communications professionals, it is no longer good enough to make assumptions about the audiences that we are trying to reach. Importantly, the pandemic has heightened the importance of stakeholder mapping. More than ever before, we are reliant on data analytics to steer communications narratives and land messages. Which means we're very lucky to have Lucy and Andrew with us to explore the increased importance of data and insight. And so, Andrew, before we get started, why don't you tell our listeners a bit about your work, your background and your passion for data? Of course. My name is Andrew Berkeley, and I'm the data science lead at the World Economic Forum, where I primarily focus on helping to bridge the gap between technology and evidence-based decision-making. So Lucy, you're here today to provide a bit of a different lens and help us focus in on how some of the trends that Andrew is going to talk us through are relevant to the corporate world. So can you start by telling us a bit about your passion for insights and their application to comms? Really, for me, where I've kind of had this passion and interest in, in, in data analytics is it really comes down to the audience behavior. Why as an individual, I choose to make certain decisions on what I read or what I listen to in the online space. And as communications professionals and consultants, we have to get to the bottom of what those clicks and what those traffic drivers mean to the impact of a brand's reputation whether that be in the event of a crisis or just more generally, how do we help brands become more visible in their own storytelling? So, Andrew, can you tell us a bit more about the typical approaches that you take when it comes to data and and data analytics and insight? I think it's important to first understand that within the last decade or so, our relationship with data has changed dramatically. Whereas before we had to put data in a table or in a spreadsheet to look at trends over time, we can actually understand data by exploring it interactively through time and space, which reveals to us the possibility of thinking about data very differently than we did before, which is why the main approach we apply to data and insights at the World Economic Forum is through novel data visualization methods. So the fact that we can take any data set and create from it quantitative information that can be visually intimate to us is a new revolution that we have in our understanding of major business, environmental, social, and political phenomenon. So you've mentioned those political economic phenomenon. So so to get a bit more granular, I guess, what role do you see data analytics or that visualization element that you just talked through? What role do you see that playing in society? What what does it mean um, for policymakers, for decision makers and, and for people? As a data scientist, there's always a big temptation to take a pure techno optimist point of view, or essentially the idea that data and technology can and will save and solve all of us from our problems. No matter what happens, as long as we make faster and more powerful computers, the more analytical capability that we have, then society will be okay. But for better or for worse, I'm not a pure techno-optimist. 
Yes, data analytics, especially the type that drives artificial intelligence applications, can be smarter, more analytical, and solve optimization problems better than us. But we keep making this interesting mistake where we use data analytics to alienate ourselves from ourselves. We now live in a world where if Lucy is running late to an appointment across town, her phone has the ability to recognize that and can automatically send Eleanor a text saying, I'm running 10 minutes late. The problem is when you start doing that, you have data and analytical systems represent us and make decisions on behalf of the individual. And that actually starts subtracting agency from individual humans. When we talk about the role that advanced data and analytics plays in society, we really need to also talk about what are the ways in which relying more and more on these analytical tools and thus giving agency over personal decisions, how that actually starts to subjugate ourselves to the decisions by autonomous systems. You start to realize that technology provides tools that wield power and codify discrimination and that the invention process of these tools and how we communicate the data from these tools is never neutral, but rather has implicit biases contained within the process itself. In that regard, data and technology has been used to exasperate inequalities and reinforce inequitable power structures. And I see it very much as my role within the data and analytics space to use these tools for positive social good. I think what we honestly need is for the humanities to come back into this equation. Um, Lucy, I'm going to ask you a similar question, but through a bit more of a, a corporate lens, I guess. What, what role do you see data analytics playing when it comes to communications? The role that I see that data analytics has in the corporate environment is to allow us to make in better and informed decisions about what it is that as a, an organization or as a brand that we decide to put out on a certain day or time of the time of the week, day of the week. Because essentially as communicators, we want to make the best possible impact and reach the right people at the right time. We use data analytics to understand the complexities and the commonalities of the words and the language being used, that then we can inform ourselves better in the future. Thinking specifically about the last 12 or so months, what do you think has changed when it comes to audiences and stakeholders and, and the best way to reach those groups that we might want to communicate to? I see that there's this, this, there is a debate, and we, none of us can ignore it, the debate about how we analyse online behaviour and what's appropriate to look at and what's appropriate not to look at. You know, as data analysts, we are relying on being able to understand publicly available information. But increasingly, data restrictions and data protection debate is putting a lot of scrutiny on how we understand that behavior, what we should look at, what we, what we can look at. You know, lots of our social listening tools, for example, they are constantly having to navigate their way around new API restrictions and what you can and cannot analyze. And that's being done to protect humans' data and people's data. And, and that's, there's no argument against that. But as communicators, we are also seeing the quite disturbing rise and manipulation of misinformation, false information. We um, at Keck CNC recently did an analysis on Twitter bot activity. So we took a sample tweets that had been posted around the topic around 5G and also um, 
anti-mask wearing as well um, around coronavirus and the pandemic. And so some of this narrative, this discourse, and we actually found that you can actually learn from some commonly identifiable traits that bot, Twitter bots have, randomly generated names or, or, or handles, um, or the, their tweeting or pattern, their consistency in pattern um, on tweeting. 46% of a sample of conversation was driven by Twitter bots. very high. That's nearly half. Yes, Goodness. exactly. We are, <laughs> as individuals, we are all having to work differently. We're all having to consume our information and our content differently. So our attention span has arguably been reduced because we're all more on our laptop. So that role of authenticity, that role of human storytelling is another thing that I'm seeing. And, and it's, it's, it's the debate again in terms of bringing back the human element to some of this narrative and this corporate discourse. If you can kind of talk us through some of the trends that you've seen over the past 12 months and as well a bit around how the spread of coronavirus has impacted your role and what you do day to day. Of course, from an everyday standpoint, I've been working remotely for the past six months because my work as a data scientist allows me to do so. But with COVID-19, we've also seen a huge influx in massive data sets and now that user-friendly analysis software is easily available, what we're starting to see that with bigger data sets and the rise in the number and complexity of studies, it actually makes it more difficult to draw appropriate conclusions from the data. So more data now means that we need to be even more aware of what the evidence is actually worth. And that is, we want people to carry out statistical analysis on these real-world problems like COVID, but also understand and critique any conclusions drawn by others on the basis of statistics and of the data. I think that what we're seeing is that people identify an impartial data set and then they want to try to communicate it, but they don't necessarily have the training or the statistical understanding to do so. That's not to say that they're doing it maliciously. I mean, maybe sometimes they are, maybe sometimes they're not trying to mislead people. But regardless of intent, that does create a lot of problems. I remember I was in the London Underground a couple of years ago, and I saw an advertisement stating that 99% of young Londoners do not commit serious youth violence. The ad was presumably intended to put people's mind at ease, but you could clearly and easily reverse its emotional impact with two simple changes. First, you could say that 1% of young Londoners do commit serious violence. Second, since the population of London is around 9 million people, that means there are around 1 million people between the ages of 15 and 25. And if we consider these people as young, then that means that there are 1% of 1 million or about 10,000 seriously violent young people in the city of London. In this instance, all we did was simply convert from a positive to a negative frame, and then we turned a percentage into an actual number. And Lucy, when it comes to your client, have you seen any changes in the way that your clients are using data? I mean, I've always, always speak to my clients about the importance of making insights actionable. And I do think that the last six months, because of this extra scrutiny on performance, has meant that people are re-evaluating how they evaluate, 
how they use that information that is available to them in order to make decisions a lot quicker um, and also be able to really drill into what those changes are going to have on their bottom line or their authority or their visibility or essentially onto their reputation. And have you seen any changes in the way that people are reacting to brand campaigns recently? People are demanding to see more visibility when it comes to senior leaders or spokespeople. People are also wanting through their content and campaigns to have an element of accountability, vision, progress. Things are becoming more tangible. People are becoming more responsible um, and people are being more responsive to organisations who are very transparent about the fact that they are on a particular journey or they're making changes. Mm. And Andrew, what about um, what about you? Have you noticed anything different about the way people are making use of data, um, specifically in response to the, to the spread of COVID-19? We're seeing a lot more people taking up data visualization, once again, my area of expertise, to really explain what's going on. You look back in January, February, and March, when people were really trying to get a sense of how this virus was spreading and how it was growing and the impact it was having on on their communities, you saw a lot of maps start to pop up. These maps were sometimes um, bubble maps, so essentially having a dot in the city or location you have COVID in, and those dots start to expand and grow over time depending on the number of cases. Sometimes you had what was known as a chloropleth map, so basically a specific geographic boundary and having a color, usually red, intensify over a certain period of time, depending on the severity of cases as well. So in terms of data visualization, that's what we're starting to see. And I think the best thing we can do is start to empower people to understand the data correctly and present it in a form that's acceptable and digestible to the wider public without being misleading intentionally or not. And going back to audience behaviours, Andrew, what do you think are the most significant effects that coronavirus is having on people's habits and their use of data over the last eight months? When we look at the last eight months or so, especially when people and audiences are talking about and requesting data, I think people want data that is timely and that is accurate and satisfies their need to know. In the early stages of the pandemic, there was a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty, which was a byproduct of this being a new coronavirus, a a novel coronavirus. The experts were very much still trying to figure it out, and it wasn't that they were putting out false information with recommendations, but that this was the best available data at the time that we knew about the transmission and the spread of the virus. And as the weeks and months progressed, some of those recommendations changed. What we're essentially seeing is that people are starting and audiences are starting to become more comfortable with the uncertainty that's in the data. And a certain level of expertise is required to understand that data, especially when we're in a global pandemic. Audiences are starting to realize that things aren't as black and white as they might have thought and that there will always be a level of uncertainty. But it's about understanding the uncertainty in the data and making a decision despite that uncertainty. And as new data and new expertise and new understanding comes into play, to start to reevaluate the information and act on it. 
And and Lucy, anything to add there when you when you might put your corporate comms hat on? Um, and thinking specifically about patterns of behaviour and how that how those might have changed or audience behaviours have changed, you know, since March. What we're seeing, and based on that, is this role of advocacy. So whether that is customer or employee endorsement, I think we're really seeing people either get behind and support a particular cause or a narrative or a brand, or in some cases, we're going against them. We're going against a particular message or theme or narrative. And this this whole heroes versus villains debate um, is something that we've all seen play out in the media. And this extra emphasis on Mm. what a brand is going to say um, about the current situation or, in fact, what they're going to do in the future when it comes to business performance or um, subjects such as DNI or ESG, we are, as human beings, almost taking sides. We're either behind something 100%, and if we are, we're going to endorse and advocate that, or we're going to be involved in potentially an online conversation that is being very clear that we are against that particular subject. And so what we've been seeing is those conversations playing out, especially in the online space, this sentiment towards a particular topic or or a brand or an organisation is is inherently becoming more vocal. And looking to the future a bit, Lucy and Andrew, do you think that you've learned this year that will set the path for stakeholder and audience behaviour in the future? On to three things which we've touched on already. There's that need to be transparent, taking people on a journey of where you are, where you, where the situation is now, an evaluation of where you are now and where you want to get to. I think that people are expecting to see that played out um, through communications and through information. What have you learned as a business? So how do you as an organization, do you take the data analytics that are available and the lessons and the learnings that are available and how do you evolve and adapt from that? Um, And I think that that leads on to that progress, that storytelling, that it's how do you as an organization adapt, evolve, get better, recover, um, how do you address the last six months and this global pandemic in a way to not only survive as a business, but also make sure that you're bringing people along the way with you as well. This past year, if anything, has shown us that we no longer have the luxury of time to think through and take advantage of what's available in the present. Life happens a lot faster than it used to. When we used to think about time cycles and absorbing and understanding information in retail, I think it's called inventory terms, Uh, essentially the number of inventory terms that we've seen within the last 12 months or so has drastically decreased. When we talk about audiences and consumer behavior and absorbing data, what anyone at this point in time is dealing with is the increasing amount of information, yet the time to respond to that information is shrinking. You need to move fast, and the time value of that information is shrinking as well. So audiences want to know how to best respond to this information. What is needed is a platform or a way to have current data and analytical content that is current and that you can act on quickly. For a lot of businesses, they often think in in one year, three year, or or five year plans, but that's just not possible anymore. 
For example, if you had planned to open up a new seating space in a restaurant and then COVID hits, what happens to your one, three, or your five-year plan? And what impact will that have on your business is what people really need to know. point around the time value and the time cycles and I think that insight it'd be applicable to any business within any industry and with any particular challenge whether it's a communications challenge or a uh, a risk mitigation or a risk recovery or a business decision challenge because ultimately decisions need to be made more quickly um, and they will maybe need to be made with the data that's available in real time but the with the knowledge that that impact of those decisions um, and the, the changes to those decisions, what, what that impact's going to have and what that impact's going to be. On that note, a big thank you to you, Andrew, Andrew Berkeley from the World Economic Forum and Lucy Cording, a partner here at Keck CNC. It's been fascinating to have you both and I'll definitely be watching to see some of those trends that we've discussed today play out in the future. So thanks both for your time. If you want to listen to more episodes of this podcast, Global Thinking, then visit our website, www.kexcnc.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.